0: Sheldon Keefe, head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, true to his word, changed her up. We had a different look to the lines. The result? Shootout win against the Anaheim Ducks. I'm Nick Kiprios, joined by Derek Brandeo on Tech's Sammy McKee, our producers here and filling in for Justin Bourne. Once again, the G-Man Stellatricity. Gord Gord Stellick. Kippy. Gordo, juggled the... Are you are you are you good right now? Because uh, you know, we're we're still in this COVID situation. We're not in the studio. Yeah. So we're all uh in, in our little uh cubby holes. And uh let me just say before we get started, what a chore it was to get you uh hooked up on a computer. <laughs> okay.
1: Sammy, what is it called? <laughs>
0: Hangover? What what are we on Club right hangouts. now? Club Hangouts.
1: Hangouts.
2: Hangouts. Yeah, Google okay. Hangouts. Well, yeah, there's so many different things out there, and then Sammy yesterday texts me, "Okay, we are going to meet on Hangout." So he sends me like, uh, like I click on like for FaceTime, like I FaceTime my mom at St. Hilda Seniors Home and stuff. That's going easier than yesterday, and I, I don't know, I can't hang out with you guys. So we, I didn't. Uh, so what happened was, I go to, it goes to something. And you know the way it is, Kip. I don't know if your kids are at home now where they are. But anyway, Justin's here. He's going to go back to Dalhousie, thank God, on Sunday. So it's on his thing. I don't know his password. Now, meanwhile, I found out later I locked him out. I didn't somewhere else in the house pissed off because whatever i did i didn't get to hang out with you guys on this screen like i like i look in today seeing kippy with the book kipper seeing the north bay centennials thing sammy looks great and yesterday i I could not figure it out at all treehouse whatever it was i i'm with you today i'm playing today okay well i and and
0: i'm so happy that uh, the, the listeners don't get a visual right now of what we do because while I've got my book in the background in a centennial jersey, Gord, I'm staring at you right now, and all I just see is this huge laundry basket in the back. <laughs> and all I'm thinking is, like, is Gord's underwear in there? Is there a big skid mark that I gotta just visualize
2: now for the next two hours? Okay, what I'm talking about airing dirty laundry on the air, it's not that, Kippy. Okay, okay, it's about this is sort of. This is kind of my office here, and you know what's depressing? i got to mix it up here because all I have are pictures of me, thin, young, looking like a million dollars, and I'm depressed when I come in here. I hardly ever use this place, and it's been my home for 22 months. So uh, let's get a picture of the three of us looking uh, like we are now. One more. One more.
0: Okay. The Everlast punching (laughs) bag over your left shoulder.
2: That's Justin's. He's home from school. That's Justin's. Can I make a
0: suggestion that you put on a pair of those soiled shorts in the laundry basket and hit that thing every once in a
2: while? Everything is sanitized here, and Justin comes, punches, and knocks my tax stuff off and everything. So that's probably why I get brown envelopes every day, not in the mail, not where you're saying, Kippy. That's it.
0: Well... Let's just uh, let's get back in the studio as quick as we can, eh, Sammy? See you Monday.
3: I honestly, Monday. boys, I I can't wait to get back in the studio. I you know the sitting around in my underwear all day is fine, I guess. Maybe not the skid mark underwear like you were talking about what the there, Nick, the but. Story? It's it's nice it's it's nice to sit around in your underwear all day and not have to worry about it. But boy, I'm looking forward to some routine, getting into the office, seeing some faces, talking on professional microphones, not hearing my dog bark every 20 minutes. It's gonna be great. Can't wait, and,
0: boys. And opening a show with actual dialogue on the Toronto Maple Leafs and what we saw last night, and Gord's mission accomplished for Sheldon Keith with all this talk about
2: uh, shuffling the lines. Yeah, first of all, we'll, later on, we'll guess the odds if our pass cards work or not on Monday. That's another <laughs> story. Point. That's always a great one when it doesn't. It's a <laughs> nice, intimate procedure. Hey, you mentioned he juggled the lines. I liked it. I thought it. But, you know, when the power play happened, the cool kids got together. Kippy, kind of like you at the back of the bus, waving to cars on the highways, whatever, when I was up front, you know, sucking up to the teachers and that stuff. That's it. The, the, the powerhouse came together, and that's where they got the offense. But I, I, liked, I liked the balance. They, they didn't give the Ducks a lot of chances, Kippy. And
0: there were times when you 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 watch this game, uh, Sammy, and I know you watched it real close as well, and you're wondering why is this still within reach for Anaheim?
3: Yeah, it, I thought there was points of this game where they looked as dominant as they've looked in a few weeks, maybe a month. They just really carried the play, their ozone possession time, which they love so much. It was just it was on full display, but. You know, um, sorry, I just blanked on the goalie's name, John Gibson. He did stand on his head, but I wouldn't necessarily say he made a bunch of 10-bell saves through the first... Like, I think a, a lot of them kind of hit him. I'd say there was four or five ones that maybe he made that were really 10-bell through the first couple periods. The third period, he was brilliant, and overtime he was brilliant as well. But I, I really loved how much the Leafs carried the play in that in that first couple periods, and then you could i texted a few friends during that third period i texted our friend our mutual friend brent gunning you could kind of feel it it was one of those games it's hockey's a weird sport where you're dominating so much and you could they get the one goal it's a one goal game you could kind of feel it coming a little bit there but uh overall i was really impressed at the least last night
2: Sammy, though, you know, different smell tests this one like the, you can go on the quick thing oh blue blow a lead again, and that's kind of been a mm. theme of late, but uh, i I just I just calm collected I, th- I thought you know to your point, i don 't know quite your bell thing ten bell eight twelve I don't know you're are you, were you a part time firefighter or something like that I'm <laughs> yeah. trying to get rid of no. all the saves, but I thought <laughs> shot they outshot him forty four twenty you know, and <clears> no <throat> question Gibson had to make uh, far more saves and scoring chances uh, than jamie than, than than they did at the other side as far as uh, Jack. Campbell did in the in the maple leaf net, but uh i I just I, it was some quirky stuff, I mean, like that first goal right Engvall's making the right because say like, well why don't you let the puck go? well no he's making the right play you got to react, and then it made a funny bounce the third. The third goal made a funny, uh, like a funny deflection. I didn't know Letty Aries Lou and Annie's grandson Kippy. I never knew that. That was kind of a neat little nugget. Louie was one of my uh, Lou from the Sioux uh, out of Minnesota all those years. But I, I just felt that the Leafs never were playing hell bent for leather, scattered, not structured. You know, all those things, whatever Sheldon Keefe said or meant to say uh, after that one game, they weren't that. If
0: they they totally outskilled Anaheim, and that's again what. Has been kind of consistent over the last year and a half, two years, as this grow, uh, this core group has matured. But uh, let me throw this at you: if if Sheldon did nothing with the lines and kept them intact, would last night's game looked any different? Great question, uh, and, and that's that's the ultimate thing that I'm watching: is it still had a feel as if we're still dealing with? A, a strong core, at least from the forwards perspective of a team that should dominate uh, with, with an overabundance of skill. And I, I saw that as far as really feeling now that the offense has been spread out that much more because Neil is now dropped to the third line. I just didn't get enough of that. Maybe it's we're catching Anaheim on a, on a five game road trip and they came off a, a hard win uh, two nights earlier, and maybe just didn't bring their A game a little bit and relied on great goaltending. But I, I didn't get an overabundant feel of this, this feels different now.
2: Yeah, you know, it's, um, well, the balance side isn't as much that you want each line to get two goals. You just want each line not to give up one goal, you know, and, and I, and again, when we talked to Sheldon, how much of this is the state of preparedness for the playoffs that so looking back, not enough was done soon enough to split, say, a lineup, and the Dano line constantly went out against the big line, and it seemed like there weren't a lot of changes. And I think he wants to try, you know, try a lot of different things. So you get all those power plays, then you get the PKs, then after that you quite often get the shift where you have to throw some guys together to get things back in sync. So, you know, that kind of knocks it, as you know, Kippy and Sam, like out of of sync a lot getting that regular kind of rotation. So, you know, Sam, there, there wasn't... The wow factor, I just found it a very efficient factor. They won 4-3. They dominated the game. If they would have got that second power play goal that would have made it 4-1, they would have won 4-1, 5-2, something like that. And that's more, Sammy, how the game felt to me.
3: Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think a big part of what the game felt like and the sort of choppiness and the weirdness and the lack of energy, and it does... I hate to belabor it and I hate to beat down on it, but the no fans thing, it's just, it's so hard to watch after watching the Leafs on a road trip, playing it on these raucous buildings and say what you want about it. It does have an effect on the game. There's no, there's no, the style of play, the way, like think about the three games the Leafs have played in this version of the no-fan games, right? You think about that Ottawa game, which was a dog, brutal. The first one back after the the break, they won 6-0. That Edmonton game on the Wednesday night, that was brutal. There was no jam to it. It was boring. And then you think about this game and they all sort of have this similar feel to it, where you're happy with the way the Leafs are playing, but it's really hard. Not I don't want to say hard to get into it because it's still NHL hockey. We're still lucky to be able to watch it, but it just has this weird kind of malaise over it. I don't know if I'm the only one feeling this way, but it's just it's, no. it's kind of hard to watch at times.
0: I get it, Sammy and Gord. I know you're involved uh, uh, during uh, the, the the radio and the digital aspect of. Uh, of the game at night, but I'm home and I'm listening to Chris Cuthbert, who's one of the best in the business and, and, and Craig Simpson, of course, who uh, is here regularly on uh, real Kipper and born. And for them, even for them on their energy level. And I I would imagine that it would pick up a lot more with, with the energy of the crowd towards, you know, uh, scoring chances and goals. And it's almost as if, they're off as well, and sometimes if the puck crosses the line in a split second and they don't, they haven't picked it up. Maybe they were seeing something else. It's it, it kind of gets lost, and even the rhythm of the announcers throws me off with no fans in the building because it's not it's not matched with the energy
2: of the crowd. It, I hate it, Sammy. I'm right there with you, man. The you know you know something. You might be better off listening to Joe and Jim and I'm not trying to get people away from TV but just because y- y- it's not a visual there and and they call a game like i mean j- like Joe's the Joe loudest the guy overtime the, last night. Yeah, yeah. Oh I mean God. Joe's the loudest guy in the NHL. So I mean in some ways there you can you can uh, forget a little bit there's no crowd but I got to tell you Kippy and Sammy I like Austin Matthews' personality the way it's emerging. I I, I really like his genuineness. I, I when I cool, what, what the cool is a dumb word. I, I I'm liking his glibness and his sense of comfort with the media. So when Sean McKenzie's interviewing him post game, and he said that, yeah, we really we really built off the crowd, and the <laughs> atmosphere. It was the atmosphere," he said, with a little bit of a smirk. You know, I I, I, uh, I like that. I like. I mean, maybe Joe Thornton imparted some of that, and some of the guys about, hey, guys, every now and then, just have some fun. I really, I really like the place and the way. Like Austin talks less in sound bites and kind of has some fun, and you're seeing more of his personality, which uh, which is important. Well, what it does, Gord, is it shows
0: you even moments after a game or during the game. It's it's never lost on the players. It's a constant coming on and off the ice or after a big goal or or just feeling any type of energy is just no longer there. And you know for for Austin to acknowledge that in that interview just speaks volumes of how I'm sure the players hate it as much well, as we do.
3: They, well, they mentioned a couple times, uh, I think it was Morgan Riley mentioned it pregame yesterday and Austin mentioned it post game yesterday about how it's a they think it's a bit of an advantage for them because they're so used to this, right? You think about the North Division all last year. They had it into the, even into the first round of the playoffs. They had no fans. And then um, the teams that are playing in the States coming up here having no fans here... It is a like like I've said before, it's a different feeling game, and they're used to it, so they could use it as an advantage. Look, they're three and zero again, with no fans here since it's since it's come back, right? So maybe they use it as an advantage. I hope not. I hope to have fans in the stands sooner rather than later. I don't know the exact dates, but we're heading in the right direction with that. But yeah, it was just a weird one, and I agree, Gordo. It's like yeah, really feeling off the at- feeding off the atmosphere with that smirk is great. So I loved it.
2: How about our also- neighbor Jay- Jamie Drysdale? Like you know, a nineteen-year-old oh. kid. So what? No, no, nobody's allowed in, right? Like you know, normally this would be as now on the upside, as you know, Kippy. You save a ton on tickets. I don't know if people realize uh, visiting teams—they they don't get free tickets. And I know one of the concerns are the price of tickets in places like Toronto and New York, and that. So, so he might—if if nobody, no friends and family were allowed, he might be ticked. But he's on his entry-level deal. He might have been out about eight grand. So uh, I, I, I don't know how you balance it out.
0: And and I, it is special. I can attest to uh, for a Toronto kid growing up, uh, coming to play the Leafs for the first time. There's only there's only one of those in a lifetime that you only get your first opportunity. And I, I went through the similar thing where it was just family and friends and just this feeling of actually playing your your childhood team that you grew up watching and now you're actually competing against them. It's just this side of body experience at times, and I'm sure uh Jamie felt it. It's unfortunate that he could not share it with his family. It's uh yeah. It's, it's sad that's the, that's the only word I could use I,
3: Boys, I love his game I, I was—he was one of the guys I came away with from the Ducks that I was not really pr- impressed with. I think Zgris had a quiet night. He had a couple flashes there where he did some—he had a couple dangles. He went around uh, Sandine. He tried to through the legs thing. But of all the young core on the team that I was most impressed with was that Drysdale. He was really, really poised for his age. So he looked great. But um, so do the Leafs. Do you want to talk about the power play? Because boy, is it ever—is it ever snipping it right
0: now? Yeah. Don't don't want to. Uh start skipping the broken record here on that blue line but we will trust me so let's just go to that that power play that sam's talking about and when will teams learn that this this is a power play that could easily put the night away for you and uh we saw that last night
2: so, what was it about? And I remember Chris Cuthbert, how many weeks ago he kind of laughed that he said, Well, this is uh, in their last hundred chances, they've scored nine goals. He goes, That's the easiest math to do, nine percent. And it was going back to last year. It was going back to last year, you know. And, and that's why, Sammy, when we were, you know, we're doing the show w- with, uh, you know, Least Nation and that, we kept saying, Okay, we, we got the power play will figure itself out. And then 15 games later, the power play will figure, and and I I don't know what it was, Kippy, about, you know, that because it seemed commonsensical about, okay, maybe they're overhandling the puck. They're not moving a quick enough. I don't know what it was, but all of a sudden to go from being the worst like they were for about six weeks last year. Yes, this is more like it. I don't know if the kind of thing about Tavares handling it more was whatever. Mitch Marner, man. Come on, Mitch. Mitch is just, expl- the last four or five games, this is the best of Mitch. This is this mm-hmm. is the Mitch that takes you out of the seats a couple of times a game, like the first couple of years. Scores power play goals now, shorthanded goals, even strength goal. It it, it, it as to, it has multi dimensional on the power play. It got to be that he was the automatic pass, and teams could almost overplay that Sammy.
0: Yeah, eight for and sure. one, yep. eight and Those one really when he scores. Well, yeah, so their
3: their power play now is at thirty five percent through their first twenty home games. Um, that's the that's the best in franchise history for a start. And you look at their power play percentage; they're first in the league, like I said, clipping at a 30 per, at a 30 uh, percent clip. And then you look at the PK, and it's number four in the league. That, to me, above all else, is what gives me great hope that this year could be different. Because you look at last year with the power play, and Cord, you talk about the, you talk about those post game shows where we'd have whoever our guest was on or in the pre game or, and you would almost be dreading it being like, oh God, we got to ask about the power play again. We got to ask about the power play again. What do we say about the power play? And then you go into this year where they almost, it feels like they score all the time on it. And then you go in the the penalty kill was not very good last year and now it's a top five unit. If there's one thing that gives me great hope, about the least pro- potentially progressing past the first round is that the special teams this year have improved
0: tenfold. Yeah, see, I'm not as excited as you because they. Dry Why you're not up.
2: excited? What else can they do? First, in, first in the power play. What else can they do for you? Every everything
0: I envision is only around the playoffs, and it's more of. And I'm not saying that it won't be a factor. It could absolutely be the factor that Sam's talking about. But that's when you go one for two on the power play, and uh, that's it. Uh, the, 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 the opportunities dry up. Drawing uh, a penalty gets all that much tougher. Uh, Bunting drew another penalty, but I think it was a, a cross-checking penalty, which I guarantee you Bunting doesn't get that call in the playoffs. It was a weak-ass cross-push. On him, and those just dry up. And I'm not saying Sam that it can't take them very far. Absolutely, it can. But it's just going to be uh, if they go one for one or one for two. Uh, you, you, you have to win with the consistency of your five on five play, and 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 that wearing down the opponents. Those are the two factors that I really believe that the Leafs have to show some sort of signs in this back half of the season, and. Again, I I look at the shuffling of the line. I I would be a lot more excited for the Leafs if if Nick Ritchie could come in and and find a place where he can be consistent in in finishing his checks and having a physical element. To me, that would play much more favorable for the Leafs in success in the playoffs than shuffling a few players, including Nylander, to a, a perceived third line.
2: Okay, so the thing is, I agree about the playoffs because I know we go back there too much, and I do that as well. All you can do, Kippy, is develop good habits in the regular season. So all you can be is number one in the power play. Now, the power play was struggling heading into the playoffs last year. It was. So Okay, so at least a positive. If in game number 82, it's kind of like it is today, then that's a better power play heading in the playoffs. The other thing depth-wise, okay, Nick Ritchie hasn't happened. Three other guys have, in Camp Kasha, and Bunting – have all found rules, uh, pleasant surprises so far. Uh, what, what, like, so Okay, so I agree with you that the team started playing well, so now you don't have to worry about Nick Ritchie. Too much was thrust on Nick Ritchie. It was kind of like Tyson Berry, too much thrust. Then when the team doesn't get off to a good start, nothing's going right. What if you said, well, you, we got to have Sheldon Keef on. In, in your opinion, what kind of role do you think Nick Ritchie should get the chance to evolve to? I think it's it's anywhere
0: between one and four in in short stints, Gord. I I really do. I I think there might be a time when maybe Tavares or or Marner, uh, a Nylander are getting heavily pushed and you need some pushback. That's where you slide him in for a period or two. And if he, if, if on paper, he starts on the fourth line, you're going to have to find a way to move him back and forth. But that's, that's the only heavy guy that I I see right now in that lineup. Who's the other one? Simmons? You want to push Simmons up there? I, I don't think Simmons is in a position anymore, uh, anymore to play 14 or 15 minutes a night. So you're really limited there. And until you, you find a, a way to tweak this lineup or potentially move that $2.5 million out, you are going to have to find a way to revisit Uh, what Nick Ritchie could possibly bring in a short window here. It's no no longer needed for 82 games, but between now and the end of the season, you're going to have to show some signs that he could come in in a playoff scenario and start hitting back.
3: Yeah, and I think that's a great point when it comes to the playoffs and how many times, I mean, not just on this decor that we've talked about being able to have a certain amount of guys that you can put into the lineup. You know, we talked about how many good D-men do you need to to get through however many playoffs series at least uh, want to get through, you know, eight, seven, whatever the number is. It's the same with forwards. And not every game's going to be the same. Not every game's going to have the same feeling. And I think Nick Ritchie is a great option to be able to put into your lineup here and there. But right now, there's just no real spot for him. And I don't think that's really, you know, the contract we can quibble about how much money he was given. It was obviously a mistake. But I I, I don't mind the way they're handling him at the moment. He hasn't earned his way into the lineup. They have guys that are playing better than him. He'll obviously get chances. People get hurt. And I don't really mind the way things are nope. going with him right now. Maybe it'll light a little bit of a fire under him for when he does get back into the lineup, fellas.
0: Agreed. And maybe we'll get into that, as Gord alluded to. Sheldon Keefe will be joining us uh, in the back half of the hour. Uh, at 4.30, Sheldon Keefe will join us, and maybe we'll get uh, into uh, the possibilities of working Nick Ritchie back in. Chris Terrian also will join us. Later on in the show, defenseman, former defenseman with the Philadelphia Flyers. Tons going on with the, the Philadelphia Flyers, including uh, rumors about Claude Giroux. We'll talk to him on that. And Steve Stumpy Thomas in a few minutes. Uh, Gord, you have a, a history with him uh, in the mid-80s when he first joined, coming out of the Marlies. Uh, sure, there might be a, a brof story well, or a, well, a Dan well, Maloney story somewhere Uh when we have Stumpy on.
2: Yeah. Well, everyone loved him. There's the uh, stories are all good when it comes to Steve Thomas. That's good. For sure. Okay. Uh, last night, no issues
0: as far as the forwards were concerned, the the lines, the power play, uh, but the blue line and what we saw in terms of Lilligren getting hurt, Muzzin quite not ready. Where were we again? Same issues as always boys, when it comes to that blue line, I can't believe Lilian got a
3: Lilian got a penalty for that. First of all, the <laughs> guy blew a tire head first into a guy's knee. I've never seen that called. Were you surprised by that?
2: Full toe pick. No. <laughs> yeah. I I thought he was seriously hurt or something the way he it laid down. I've seen Tavaris, the play. quite honestly. Yeah, yeah. it was uh, I well, okay, so 82 games you get you get ex- excessively picky about things, you know? Like and I, I just so the D, I don't know. Jake Muzzin, he's gotta be out for a little bit anyway, can't you know? I mean, I don't know if Sheldon Keefe will shed more light or not. He'll give us kind of the state of the union. But there's no question they're they're lacking depth on D. We know that. We know that. There's no question they have to get at least one. Anyway, depth D. It's not a panic move. They they if you wanna go anywhere in the playoffs, maybe two. Just kind of kind of uh the Zach Bogosian types that you don't have this year that can just play, you know, in in, in the NHL and, and don't make crazy money. Uh but I I thought Kippy all in all, and I take it you're going to critique a little harder, you know, that, that I, I was satisfied with the defensive game because two of the three goals were kind of of the, it's not fluky, but weird bounce variety. And I, I thought they they kept the chances down on, on the Anaheim Ducks. You you feel the same or you feel different?
0: Uh, I agree. When the Leafs are... are, are... Are probably at their best this year. It's a total five-man unit where they come in and they support each other and they limit the opportunities. And for the most part, yeah. And the shots on goal certainly uh, is is right there for for proof in the pudding. Gord, what I when I see early in the game, um, and Zegras had a, a, a fairly quiet night. All in all, yeah. But I, I don't know if Sammy, if you recall this, the the rush that he had early in the game off of uh, Sandine oh. where he cut into the inside and Mm -hmm. if i remember the term correctly by craig simpson it was undressed Walked. he got walked right he got walked and i just i i I like a lot of what i see out of Sandine. i really do and there's there's even a a a touch of nastiness in him when he wants to be physical he could he could lay it out there a little bit too but for whatever reason, he's still uh, at a young age, and if I'm not mistaken, we're only talking about a guy that's 21 years old in the National Hockey League that has still an issue reading a rush. And I think that was a prime example of just giving up, uh, overcommitting, and giving up easy access on the inside. And that, that's what I see last night.
2: Well, okay. So here's what you have to see. You have to give, as we know, defensemen a chance. You have to give everybody a chance. The key is, do they grow from those and learn and improve? And yes. part of why we're talking about this is because that hasn't been the case with Travis Dermott, right? That, you know, mm-hmm. he was at a certain niche and it was hoped he could get to a core four niche and he hasn't got there. He's not playing terrible or anything like that, but it's just about the, the thing about being a Rasmus Sandin or a Lilligren, about getting reps, getting minutes, and as it goes, you're not saying, yeah, the same lack of judgment, the same mistakes, the same inexperience that they showed, say, 40 games ago or last season or whatever, it's still there. Well, then that's something you got to move on from versus, okay, the growth from maybe making a few mistakes to making the odd one to all of a sudden being an NHL defenseman. That's where you got to make the assessment. And, you know, in Steve Thomas's case, he knows that. Back in, back in that decade when you're struggling, particularly with defensemen, what we were guilty of, and I say we because I worked with them back then, was um, rushing young defensemen and making decisions too quickly and putting them in situations where they couldn't succeed. All, all the, the developmental part is the second part. You know, you procure the draft picks, you're, you evaluate the talent, and that's something that can't just happen overnight.
3: I completely agree with everything you said there Gordo and with the Leafs in a situation now where you look at the standings fellas and it's pretty clear cut who's going to be in the playoffs and who is not it's like a top 8 the separation is pretty unbelievable I think where I get worried with Sandine and I have no worries playing him in the regular season when I they're clearly capable enough to have him shouldering the amount of minutes that he does it's the concern I get is having him his Flaws being amplified in a playoff series, and that is why I think they probably need to make a, a trade of some sort to maybe to put down his responsibilities when it comes to potential playoffs. I have no problem with the amount he plays in the regular season. It's a long season. It's a lot of malaise. I you know he he's a good young legs I I don't mind it but I do worry about him once the spotlight and things get amplified a little bit more in the playoffs do you think that's fair or is it are are you ready for him to be more to have that in the playoffs
0: not for me not for me I I think if 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 he needs to come in for some spot duty absolutely but to rely on him as a regular anywhere between twelve and fourteen minutes. Uh, it has to be like a third pair limited role here, and it, it there has to be more than just a shutdown guy of of Jake Muzzin.
2: You you, you know what I wish they could find, and maybe yes. you can. I don't know. I know a guy that that really was underrated his play and and got hurt a significant injury in that playoff against Boston. Mark Fraser, remember that? Remember the, You know you know you know remember how well like like I mean for a journeyman D. Kippy and Sam, how yes. well he played. Get an and, edge, he, yeah. Roman Polak, an edge. yeah, and he and it, well, yeah. Uh, but but Fraser, especially that year, you know, Polak had a longer career and he had glimpses. But whatever it was, the stars aligned, and unfortunately, he took a he took a horrible, like it wasn't a career ending injury in that playoff, but it was a it was a career altering injury as far as that went. So I mean, sometimes if you can just get that kind of get that kind of horse that you can ride and succeed and thrive. You know, who knows? Sometimes the pleasant surprises, and that's why you have your uh, scouts out there trying to see if there is a diamond in the rough somewhere. They, can,
0: can the Leafs trade for Aaron Dell? I, he'd be perfect to play defense. Like, you, you need a guy with that physical type of presence. Can he skate backwards? I'd, that's the guy I'd like as a fifth or sixth defenseman, Aaron Dell. I can't. That poor Batherson's
3: out for two months with a high ankle. Like that yeah. just sucks. I, I feel for him, but three-game right, yeah, suspension course. for attendee is that a record? What like I don't remember any other goalie suspensions. Do you? I can't think of one off the top uh, of my head.
2: Dominic but... Hasek for grabbing the late Jim Kelly, the writer, in the playoffs. <laughs> How many games did he get, Kippy? Three or five playoff games? Oh
0: gosh, I can't
2: even remember. Yeah, but he but he, but he accosted Jim Kelly, who did a lot of work on the fan, and uh, like I mean, it was the kind of nowadays to be a criminal charge, but you know, back then it was. He got he got like playoff oh game my suspended. God.
0: God, yeah, that makes
2: that, that makes Jim Matheson
0: and Drys, uh, Leon Drys, uh, Dale look uh, look uh, like a birthday party, a kid's birthday party. Oh, I know, I know. That's a pissy.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Wow. Well, um, yeah, three is a lot for me, guys. It really is, and of course, it, three. It's three because of an, an unfortunate incident where he got hurt and he fell awkward. Uh, but that, that's a. It's an interference penalty. Yeah, he did, if he, he gets up, if he gets up,
2: it's an interference penalty missed. Yeah, and you know he didn't mean it. You know he's just trying to. Here, Kippy. Speaking of one goalie's getting suspensions, because I'm trying to gather. How about the end of the game? Because Brent Gunning was like livid about that. Sam, right? You and Tex like like it was weird. Ricard Raquel, he saves oh. it, and then he whacks it in the net. And you see Jack Campbell at first kind of go. What the hell is that kind of thinking? And then he doesn't even know how he's supposed to react. Well, so he kind of gives the wave, which actually was the best reaction. I made the save. We won the game, you know. But you know the the word code. I mean, it's not worth a because because was the Zegers in a shootout against Columbus? He kind of he kind of he whooped it up going by the Columbus bench and almost started a bench brawl. They might be the toughest shootout team to play the Anaheim Ducks. I don't know. <laughs> Whenever they lose, well, the Seaver onto something. But I just remember. I'm, I was kind of surprised. I think even my daughter, Jessie, doesn't watch a lot of hockey. She goes, he tried to whack the puck back in. We're all walk, you know, watching that. And I uh, and, uh, thought, yeah, that's kind of bleepy, you know. I, well, she- I
0: am with you. Where I, I did like Jack's response. Uh, but it didn't bother me a whole heck of a lot. Once the save was made, uh, the game's over. And to push the puck into a, a game that's already been decided into an empty net uh, with maybe even Jack starting to make a move towards his team or, or the bench that, that one's didn't bother me a, a, at all. Not like, that- not like, not, not like on an offside play where you shoot it in the net. Anyways, that one, that one's different.
3: I think that's more instinct than it is. Disrespect where you're you're pissed off that you didn't score and you just sit sitting there and you just shoot it in the net. You've done that a million times. I don't think he was I think he was just more mad at himself than he was trying to disrespect Jack Campbell in that situation. I definitely did like his reaction, but I think we have
0: Stumpy now, boys. Let's let's ask Stumpy if he's ever shot a puck in after a whistle on a goaltender.
1: <laughs> Hi boys. Hi Gordo.
0: Hey,
1: hey Kipper, how are you, boys? We're great. Hey, th- we're great. Th- th- this is a
0: true uh uh you know, get together with you and Gord to rehash all those, uh, 80 <laughs> moments, those brof moments. You know, I could just step out of the room if you want just to, for you guys to <laughs> kind of reminisce. Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah. how are hey. you, pal?
1: I'm glad to be on with you guys, boys.
0: Good. So we're just talking about last night, uh, the end of the shootout, uh, and, and Jack, uh, staring down Raquel when he, when he fired a, a meaningless shot in an open net, um, you know that and maybe your overall thoughts on on last night, Stumpy. we'd love to hear from you
1: well you know the the fact that it was during a shootout not during uh like the actual game back in the 80s and 90s if you did that you probably have about nine guys on you trying to punch you in the head about 100 just nine (laughs) (laughs) no that was nothing not nothing um uh you know Jack Jack did a great job. I mean, just letting that whole thing go and not not uh, reacting the way he did was it's just the way right so they won the game. Who, who it doesn't matter. Who cares? Right.
2: Okay, so Steve, I got okay. First, a bunch of things. Cuz one what we thought of you? I just talked about how well you played in the American Hockey League from the word go, and we're able to seamlessly go to the NHL. And, and I want to get on that, but since we have the old days. The passing of Justin Bourne's father-in-law, Clark Gillies, uh, you know, we, uh, great stories about him and our condolences, of course. But I went down the rabbit hole watching all kinds of fights on Friday. Okay, like just And what I, I didn't look this one up, but just for old time's sake, I'm trying to remember because it was after Wendell beat the crap out of Craig McTavish that one time. And I don't know if it was the same game, but Mark Messier grabbed you. OK, and I think Ali Afraidy kind of just dis- Ali Afraidy was kind of like the rodeo clown and kind of tried to distract him a little bit. But, man, it was mano de mano. And I, I mean, honestly, uh, do you remember that fight with Mark Messier and about what it was like? I I'd never seen him that mad and that pissed and actually go at someone. He was just doing it to retaliate for what Wendell
1: did. You, you know what? I, I remember that pretty well. And um, and I think uh, what what happened was we were we had a power play. And they, so we were five on three against Edmonton, and and uh, I think we were winning the game, which was a shocker at the time, and um, and and I think something happened between somebody and everyone kind of paired up, and obviously we had an extra guy on the ice, so it was myself and Russ Cortnell who finished up with with um, with um, um, Mark Messier. And he started throwing some punches, so me and um, me and Russ Cortino started going at it with uh, with Mark Messier, and uh, we, we both got a couple of punches in. But that might have been um, uh, Rusty's first fight in his life. <laughs> and so, and if last. he last, said that he was he had a fight. He was going to say, "Yeah, I had a fight." And who was it against? It was against Mark Messier. So that makes Tag him team. look really good. <laughs>
0: Last night, Stumpy, we we saw Sheldon Keith shuffle the lines, and for me, it, it just being in the lineup was good enough. But for a guy like you, who uh, a top six guy, a guy that uh, needs to know that or that he's supported because he's there as a goal scorer, you know, how much of a of an effect overall was it on you on a daily basis to know that you were playing with skilled guys? Because I, we watched a guy like Nylander last night, and I'm sure Sheldon. Reassured him that he'll get his looks with with uh, Matthews or Tavares in the offensive zone. But at the end of the day, he's still playing now with Camp and a a guy that scores has scored five goals in his last a hundred games. So, how important was it for you to at least know that you were given the best opportunity to put the puck in the net uh, night after night? Yeah.
1: Okay. So, so I've got a half decent story. So. So when I played in Chicago, um, uh, just before I was traded, I played with uh, Adam Creighton for, for two years. And Adam, for me, was uh, a great player. He was a, a guy that um, uh, wasn't a great passer or anything. And I've got to, I've got to you know, preface this by saying that uh, um, I'm godparents for his kid, and he's one of my best friends. Um, but I got to tell you, it was a really t- <laughs> it was tough to play with Adam. Adam was uh, more of a an individual player, a guy that liked to do some things uh, um, with his skill individually. And, and it didn't really kind of uh, resonate with the way my game was kind of patterned. Uh, I needed a centerman to give me the puck. And, and you know, uh, my forte really was my shot and, and going to the net. And um, so we got traded. Uh, we got traded together to the Islanders, and uh, when I got traded to the Islanders, Adam and I went uh, on a flight together in a snowstorm and finished up getting there two, like a day and a half later. And uh, the first practice, uh, the Islanders have Adam Creighton and I on the same line, and I'm like, oh my god, I, we just they they, they 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 just traded for uh, for Pierre Turgeon. They've got Benoit Hogue there now. You. The defenseman, uh, we really turned into a pretty good team. But I'm thinking, oh my God, I got to get on Pierre Turzon's line somehow. <laughs> so we're doing a, a back checking drill and, and, and went down the ice. And, and Adam Creighton is, uh, is back checking me and he's hooking me and he slashed me. So I turned around and I two handed him. And it turned out we had a fight in, in practice on our first practice. Uh, with the islanders and um and and so al arbor comes in and he tries to break it up and he his shoulder pops out and all the other mick vakota comes in and he grabs us and and and, uh they separated us so then everyone picks their gloves up and then adam came up to me and says you know you suckered me and he's got a bleeding lip and and uh and i'm like no i didn't You, you were hacking me and everything so i so we dropped the gloves again. So we had two fights <laughs> in our first practice, and uh, so Mick Vakota comes over and he goes, "Wow, what did Mike Keenan do to you guys over there in <laughs> Chicago?" But anyway, I had the opportunity to play uh, after that with uh, with Pierre, and turned out having my my best career or sorry my best years in my career playing for the Islanders with with Pierre. Uh, with all due respect to Adam. Uh, Adam Creighton, um, Pierre Turgeon was the guy that I needed to play with, and and it, as it turns out, um, had my, my my best career, my best my best seasons. But when I looked at the game last night, and and with all, uh, hey, believe me, Kipper, you know that I bleed blue and white. And when I saw that that um, that Matthews is playing with Bunting and Cassé, uh, I'm like, you've got the best goal scorer arguably as good as uh, Ovechkin a goal scorer in the NHL and you don't have a centerman to play him with um and with all due respect to those players like it's it's a tough league and it's hard to score but what would you think Mike Bossy would say if he wasn't playing for with 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 Brian Trottier or or Gretzky, or sorry, um, uh, Curry wasn't playing with Gretzky. Or Brett Hull didn't have um, uh, Oats, Adam Oats, with him. Or you know what I mean? It goes down the line. Or if, or or if Cam Neely didn't have Adam Oats on his on his line, like there's a there's something to be said for that. And and when I watched the game last night, it kind of resonated with with some of the things that I went through throughout my career. And you need someone if you're a goal scorer, you need someone to pass you the puck. And at the end of the day, like when I looked at the lineup and I'm like, you split all those three, three guys up on different lines, like put Marner with, 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 um, with um, Matthews and let him score a hundred goals in a season. Like, come on. See, like for me, I get excited. I got super excited. If I knew that I had a centerman that wanted to give me the puck in scoring situations. And I don't know. I just look at it that way, and that's that's my perspective. But um, I don't know, and, and and I understand what Sheldon's trying to do in regards to trying to tinkering with the lines to see what kind of matchups the other teams are going to put up against with uh, against uh, you know spreading those guys out and, and you know to try and make a, you know something happen that way. But in my opinion, you know Mike Bossy and Brian Chrotek. Come on. See, I, I,
0: from a player's perspective, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I know exactly the mindset of, of these guys. And I would think internally they've all they've all said the right things publicly, but internally, I, I'm with you that N- Neil Anderson, they're going. I don't want to play one shift with a guy that can't score. I, I mean, I love him as a teammate. He's great in this third hole, and I'm talking about camp. But he's not going to help me get 35 or 40 goals this season. So mm. is is there a chance then that that there's this underlying message that Sheldon's trying to send to the guys that it hasn't surfaced for mainstream media yet here that you know something that's gone on or something that he thinks is on or off the ice that might be an issue that's led to this is that is that a possibility that we don't know about?
1: Uh, I don't know if I I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think I think he's just trying to. I mean, they're one of the best teams in the league right now. And, like, why well, change a whole lot? There's not a whole lot that should be changed. Like, why not keep your best players happy? That's what's going to get you to the end of the, to the finish line. Um, uh, I don't know. And, and I don't want it to sound like it's, it's something that is uh, um, statistic-driven. But when you got a, if you've got a guy like uh, Matthews, got Marner, you got um, uh, Nylander, the guys that can put like sixty, seventy points up, you're going to win a lot of games when those guys are scoring, and that's the bottom line, really. But but how do you, you know. equate it to not
2: winning playoff rounds, right? You know, that's that's been the so uh, so if you're Willie Nylander now, skilled player like you. To your point, how much are you saying? Okay, we got to get some depth for the playoffs so we can split up lines and have three balance lines because we've been disappointed in the playoffs year after year after year after year. Versus to your points, uh, yeah. Steve, just saying, hey, it's uh, you, you, you got you got to have your power guys, you got to have your scores on one line. We got to figure it out
1: differently. Well, I'm not I'm not really saying that you got to have them all on one line. There's there's some depth there. There's a, there's quite a bit of depth. You wouldn't be in the top in the top five in the NHL, if you didn't have any depth on your team. Um, I'm I'm just saying that I think it could be more um, productive if you had happy players that are putting numbers up. um, And that, that at the end of the day is going to get you to, you know, to a position where you, you can buy for a Stanley cup. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to say. It's, it's, I mean, I know what they're doing. They're, they're just trying to, they're trying to figure out what the right line combination would be. But at the end of the day, you got one of the top goal scorers in the league in Matthews. And I, you have to compliment that guy. Come on. Like, in my I'm opinion, not. Come on.
0: Yeah, and just to be clear, I'm not, it's not like I, I know something and I'm not saying it. I just know in my era uh, on teams that I've played with, uh, there are guys that have been moved down the lineup because uh, uh, missed assignments on the ice, wouldn't back check, missed uh, broke curfew, missed meetings. I mean, there's always been something that uh, never gets surfaced publicly. Uh, but I just look at these changes and it's just, it's for the, it appears it's just a change for the sake of changing. It's not like the Leafs had issues scoring goals here and you needed to balance out the line up here.
1: Yeah, I look at everything with, like, rose-coloured glasses. I, 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 mean, I, I mean, I'm sure that happens. In this pandemic right now, there's nobody doing, maybe you miss a meeting, but does that warrant getting, you know, split up in a line, that sort of thing? Like, I understand the whole discipline part of hockey, and, 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 it's, and it's followed through in my everyday life because of hockey i've become uh, you know you know the lessons you learn throughout the course of your career kip um i don't know man like it's not like the guys are going out partying or anything there's nowhere to go <laughs>
2: <laughs> i don't yeah i know
1: yeah with cameras and all. i that get it point, yeah. i get
2: what you're saying there's for sure to
1: go there's social media like these guys are in a like as much as we're in a pandemic and you and and to a certain extent you're in a bubble but you're these days these guys are always in a bubble so like with social media I don't know it's just I don't I don't know if I agree with like um maybe Sheldon is is you know um you know there's an issue with players and and that's the reason why they did this but it is what it is They're, they're trying to figure things out and they're trying to get the best I think out of their players so that they can go into the playoffs and hit it on all cylinders and and let her rip, you know, and bring our, our our beloved Leafs to the promised land. That's all. That's all I'm kind of thinking of.
2: Yeah, Steve Thomas, of course, a former Duck alumnus as well. People forget about that his uh, brief time way back when. But uh, uh, talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs and and why your name came up, Steve. I used to use it a lot. Was I mean, you weren't drafted. You really blossomed late, blossomed big time with the um, Marlies. And then, you know, I used to use it as an indicator to say, hey, guys, instead of pissing and moaning why you're in the American Hockey League and why you're not getting a chance, Steve Thomas's first year, 42 goals in 64 games. Second year, you split it, and uh, when you went down to St. Catharines, you got 19 goals in 18 games. And, you know, when you look at Pierre Engvall now, before Freddie Gauthier could never really find a spot. I mean, you know, these guys, the chance to play in the American Hockey League and, and, and turn it into something that you, you prove that you don't belong there and move to the next level, I mean, what would was it that, that that you saw there that, that you were so successful and you know seamlessly made the move?
1: <laughs> you know what? I, I gotta tell you that that you know stand down in the American Hockey League uh, with the St. Catherine Saints and the Maple Leafs giving us 13, 14 guys, I was absolutely scared for scared to death playing in the American Hockey League at that time. It was so it was tough. Like it was like like at every moment you could have got your head punched in um and uh, or your stick over your back when you beat a guy one on one I my motivation was to get the heck out of that league because I was going to get hurt <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't believe job. that
0: for one second
1: <laughs> <laughs> No it was uh, it was a tough league back in the 80s and 90s man it the the American Hockey League was like it was tough. We had guys like, uh, Bennett Wolf. Um, he, that guy looked like he had the biggest beard and he was the meanest looking guy, Archie Henderson. Um, there, there was a, like any, any number of guys could end your career in one second. <laughs>
0: Just cuckoo. And that
1: was my motivation to get out of the American league.
0: <laughs> well, uh, Stumpy last night, uh, 62 shots on goal for Calgary. And that was the average you guys would give up in your early days uh, with Gord Stelik's sleeves wasn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like uh, Alan Bester had a twitch. I always wondered why he had a twitch, but you know what? He, he got 50 to 60 shots every night, but you know what? We had a great bunch of guys and we had a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, you know, yeah, and I was talking about you you weren't there yet. Bester had the sixty five shots as a nineteen year old. He was an underage goaltender. We sixty five twenty two, Hartford outshot him and he kept the score to five to three back in 1984. But I, you know, one, uh, I, when you talk about conditioning, I remember we drove to Belleville for training camp once, So you were coming back, you buggered your shoulder, whatever it was. But, um, you were just talking about that, that summer about your training, because you're, you you, uh, you had your foray into acting and it cut, it cut into your, uh, on ice and off ice <laughs> training to get ready for camp.
1: That, that actually did. Um, I, I, I was so looking forward to my first training camp with the Leafs, uh, uh, Jerry signed me to a free agent contract, and then I got a call from uh, from from Bravo. somebody in Hollywood or whatever and asked me if I wanted to be in a in a movie, and I, I I agreed. I said, okay, but the only reason I'll do it is is there's a stipulation. I need to have ice time. I need a gym, and and uh, they said, oh, yeah, there's all kinds of ice. It's a hockey movie. We're going to have ice time every day whenever you want it. Needless to, they didn't tell us that there was going to be like, four two hundred and fifty thousand dollars cameras on the ice at the same time as we're we're training so my my training didn't um wasn't like uh it was after that when i realized that you know training in the summer is something that's imperative and you have to really work at it to get yourself ready to play in the season but um you know in retrospect when i look back like being in an MGM movie was a was a pretty darn cool thing, and I can look back. and A lot of my friends, well, I think everyone's seen Youngblood, and uh, it's a pretty cool thing. I can look back and say I was in a I was in a movie, and um, you know, with, a, with a, a few of my friends, my 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 good buddy uh, was in the movie as well. So I spent pretty much the whole summer with Pete zezel and uh, and yeah, it was pretty cool. I actually have a DVD of the movie.
0: we we, we've all seen the movie. What are you talking about? You weren't in great shape. There's a scene where you're doing leg presses with your hockey (laughs) pants on your shin pads and no shirt, just buff stumpy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's embarrassing. I hear it. I get that from a lot of people that see the movie. Hey, stop. I just saw the movie. I saw you doing leg presses with half your (laughs) hockey equipment on. That's, (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah. That, so it was uh the late Patrick Swayze and and Rob Lowe did you get a chance to interact with those guys at all were they good guys
1: yeah actually um uh, Patrick Swayze was awesome he was uh he um he worked really hard at the skating part of things uh he actually um, um kind of integrated with all us hockey players and sat in the room and and dressed himself and got his hockey equipment on, put his tape on, tied his skates up. Rob Lowe, he did He had his whole wardrobe thing there, uh, um, crew in there, tying his skates, putting tape on his shin pads, and buckling his helmet. And and uh, after we saw, after all of us hockey guys saw that, um, we confronted him and said, "Hey, dude." You got to you got to tie your own skates up. This is like,
2: <laughs> are <you kidding>
1: me? <laughs> hey, hey superstar. Yeah. What are you for? <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly.
2: <laughs> hey, yeah,
1: if hey, someone's Steve. carrying his bag in the rink. Like, come on, bud. Uh,
2: now, now, I mean, you oh, grew up hilarious. in the you grew up in the Toronto area, but you know, it's funny. Quite often, guys will play later in their career, whether it's you know Gary Roberts, Joe Newendike, and. Curtis Joseph, that kind of thing. So, the the like Toronto, there's no worse place to play. Some people say because of the pressure than others. There's no better place to play. If someone's going to become a Toronto Maple Leaf, what do you what do you tell them about being playing in Toronto?
1: I tell people this all the time. Absolutely, no better place to play in all of hockey than right there in Toronto. Um, you know, it's it's like when you can when you can end your career and say that I played the toronto maple leafs and you're in the hockey world then that's a huge accomplishment um especially for me being a toronto guy i grew up in markham uh went down to uh maple leaf gardens and watched hockey games with my dad you know coming out of the uh the subway station walking up the steps there onto uh carlton and and smelling the chestnuts and and walking down the street and hearing people say who needs leave tickets uh you know, for me that was like the pinnacle of uh of, of hockey. Just going down to Maple Leaf Gardens with my dad and watching the games for, usually with my back up against the the uh the, the wall at the top of the grades, but at the same time it was like uh, I don't know. It's it's something that I always remember um the time I had with my dad. And then and then I uh Went on to play for the Toronto Marlboros. I played for the Markham Waxers and then the Toronto Marlboros, who were affiliated with each other, and then eventually the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I feel like I grew up in 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 the, in the you know Maple Leaf Gardens and the Air Canada Centre.
0: Be a Leaf, and you too one day could be in a major motion MGM movie, telling a superstar <laughs> like Rob Lowe. You're embarrassing yourself. Tie your own skates, for God's sakes. (laughs) Exactly, bud. (laughs) Hey, Stumpy, always great having you on the show, man. We really appreciate your time.
1: Hey, my pleasure, Kipper. And Gordo, all the best to you, bud.
2: Yeah, yeah. By the way, friends did come the time you saw me at the bagel store. Remember when no one was there and you thought I was sitting there alone all those years ago? Uh, my friend did show up later, just so you know. All's well.
1: <laughs> okay. I thought, yeah, I thought, uh, Yeah, you're, um, you know, the fact that you got fired, maybe uh, uh, no one wanted to hang out with you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they Thanks. came around. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> okay, boys. All the best.
0: Ciao. Steve Thomas. Oh, my God. That young blood uh story is awesome hey you know i've known him for 30 years i've never asked him and you know i was also in that wheelhouse and i remember someone asking me if i wanted to be an extra for that movie as well and i'm
2: like nah well well, you should have but you went on to fame and fortune other ways and hey kippy (laughs) kippy seriously trade deadline you and i were working for Sportsnet. that was a nondescript trade the anaheim ducks getting stevie thomas he was huge for them in the playoffs. Huge. They went to the finals. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's the kind of pick out there, whether it's the Leafs or any other team, that we'll be talking big one, like the Nick Felino equivalent or where does Ristolainen go or does Klingberg go somewhere or does Marc-Andre Fleury go somewhere? And then it's a couple of those that later on are hoisting the Stanley Cup or getting close to it.
0: All right, Gord, let's take a quick break. Uh, we also have Sheldon Keefe uh, coming up a little later on. And uh, 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 Mr. Terrian from the Philadelphia Flyers, he's done a crisp, uh, great job. Chris will join us as well. Uh, and we'll get into where the Flyers may be leaning towards at the trade deadline. Lots left, including Evander Kane update. Uh, Nathan McKinnon, Gord, will talk about the hit that he took on Taylor Hall. Plenty of that and more after the break. You're listening to Real Kipper and Bourne. Chris Terrian, set to join us now. Former Flyer defenseman, Snow the Goalie, a Flyer podcast. Let's welcome him in. Chris, how are you?
4: You never snowed a goalie, did you, Kipper? <laughs> never in a- your life did you ever snow goalie, huh?
0: Uh, I I it just couldn't stop. My my problem was I I wasn't I wasn't good enough to stop. <laughs> <laughs>
4: it was that old two the two blades stop instead of the one and the quick turn back?
0: <laughs> I could have used the snow plow there.
4: <laughs> yeah yeah I hear you brother I hear you.
0: <laughs> How are you? Uh, listen, um, and I want to get Gord's thoughts on this too. Uh, when when I think of two organizations who aren't original six teams, but are that close to being an original six team. I think of St. Louis and Philly and what we're watching out of the flyers right now to me is, is really, really sad.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, guys, I don't even know. I don't know where to start. You know, this has been going on for years and I think really before it actually started probably guys when Peter Luko had left the organization, that was even on, on Ed Snyder's watch. But what's happened now is, you know, and I I said it best on a podcast today, you know, teams can get crappy sometimes from year to year. It happens, right? You know, you can't tell anybody Toronto. I mean, look what they've gone through for for years. The Flyers, too, for a certain extent, except they won those two Cups in the 70s. But they've always had good teams. There was a passion. There was a connection to the community. Blue-collar, tough-nosed people that really enjoyed hard work uh, in sports. And you know, that Kipper, you you know, you have ties to this town too, but what I'm saying is, is that that's gone. And they're managed. And I know, like I talked to alumni at the golf tournament after Ed Snyder passed. And I know the bigger guys were saying, you know, what? our biggest fear is that this becomes engulfed by corporate America. And it has, they have people in there that have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea the history of the team. They don't care about the team. Um, uh, and they certainly have, have absolutely disconnected themselves from the fan base in the city. It's one of the most grotesque malfeasances of business that I've seen from one side to its fan base in the history of sport. I've never seen anything like it. And as a result, now they won't tell you this, they had 11,000, I think, posted on the number the other night. Guys, I had scouts in the press box sending me pictures. They're saying, Bundy, there can't be 6,000 people here. 6,000 in Philadelphia. Wow. And I'm thinking to myself, like, empty seats. When I have a picture. Empty seats over sections from the press box with the beginning of the first period starting. That is absolutely horrendous. And you can't recreate Ed Snyder. You're not going to be able to put a man like that back on I mean, him. He's a legendary man, a figure in the form of an Al Davis. The community adored him. He loved his fans more than any player he ever had. And as a reciprocation of that, he tried to make sure the team was, uh, you know, good every year. It was there for the for the city. They didn't win every year, but they were present. And what's happened now, guys, is they are mired in deep depression with the salary cap, an awful, awful business side that has are clueless, uh, ignorant, and arrogant. And until it's rectified, and really, I'll be honest, until Brian Roberts says enough is enough, Brian Roberts, who's, of course, you know, the, the, the head of... Uh, of Comcast and NBC until he says, all right, I've had enough egg in my face with these two, uh, the two running the team, really the business side. I, I have to make a change. The hockey side, you know what, guys, we were all we were hockey guys, right? All of us. It happens. Bad teams, you know, bad group of guys happens and you get a bad mix and you have to change it up in, in the off season. But what we've seen now is, is I think, is, is a slow walk back of one of the greatest franchises to this city, and one that, in many ways, Kippers, you said it, you know, Philadelphia Flyers in a hockey sense was almost like the American version of the Dallas Cowboys to a lot of people, right? Like, everybody, you would find Flyers fans in L.A. Uh, on an L.A. game some nights. There'd be three, 4,000 of them. It was amazing 100%. to see. And so yeah and so that's the stuff that really, really makes me sad because I watched the man's vision, was here a long time as a broadcaster and as a player, uh, and, and I just I hate to see what this is what it's devolved into because it's, it brings no semblance of anything that you guys, as great hockey people, have seen in the past and recognize it as well as outsiders uh, looking into what's happened in Philadelphia. It's doomsday here, guys, and it's really bad.
2: Yeah, Chris, uh, Gord Stelic, always great catching up with you, you know. And, and um, yeah. certainly, you know, we're, we look back in the Snyder family, the Flyers, the gold standard. They had a guy named Joe Cadillac that just did everything right. Nobody knew what he did because he did everything, because they wanted everything done right. And they were the gold standard that maybe Tampa Bay has taken over now and maybe a few others. And, you know, to your, you, know, what struck me, Chris, was the press conference yesterday. Okay, last week, Ken Holland spoke to Edmonton fans. He's a general manager in Edmonton, as we were president in Edmonton, as we know, general manager. But the business guy talked for the Flyers. Now, I'm big on Chuck Fletcher, and I'm glad he supported Chuck Fletcher, but he said Chuck Fletcher has a blank check. It's a cap world. It's like saying you got a blank credit card, but your limit is that you're over the limit. So, I mean, how do you get a blank check when you got no checks to write unless you do something? But that's the problem right there, Gord. He doesn't have a clue what he's doing. Uh, uh, listen, I'm
4: not here to rag on uh, – he got put in that position. But if you don't know what you're doing, then get out of the lane and let someone else in there that does. Because if you really do care about the team, you're not going to come out and make dumb statements like that about the team. And even even the moderate fan, the person that just was watching haphazardly, is like, what is he talking about with a blank check? Like, that. first of all, that guarantees you – Nothing except maybe more futility. If that's what your plan is, you're going to pay for it. I guarantee it. Um, But, again, making a statement like that, uh, this team, guys, I mean, all you've had to do is watch the attendance go down and down and down. They'll tell you it's happening because of COVID and and all the things. No, it's not. That's a lie. The 76ers are basically 95% packed every night. The Flyers are not. And the Sixers are not the number one team in the, league or in the Eastern Conference like they were last year. So those are, those are the things that you're reiterating. And again, until somebody says, that can't be the, the guy driving the Flyers bus making a statement about a blank check in a salary cap era. It doesn't happen. I mean, the closest thing you get to a blank check is what they paid Kevin Hayes uh, a couple summers back, right? Was it seven years, like $50 million. That's a blank check signing. When you, when you really boil it down. So until they get this thing rectified, uh, get some high-end talent in here, and, and and lose the mascot that they've hitched their wagons to. Uh, it, it, the mascot's nice, guys, if it's like a secondary piece.
0: Not he's the, the, he's the biggest
4: story. He, he's, he's, he's the he's biggest is star. He the face of the city. Yeah, he's a face of the Philadelphia Flyers, and that is pathetic.
0: We can't get anybody on the Tonight Show, but we can get – that mascot on. We can't get any of the players on, but we can get the mascot on the tonight show. It, it's it's <laughs> mind-boggling. Yep. So Chris, where yep. are we with uh with Claude Giroux? Because uh he he seems to be now the uh the, the big talk in terms of uh what he whether he stays or goes with a no move. Everything's pointing in the direction that he will go. I'm here in Colorado, but the issue isn't necessarily trading him because you're going to just add the salary back. They've got new contracts coming in that would essentially pick up seven or eight million dollars, Farabee. Um, and so, so how do they dig themselves out of this?
4: It, 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 you mean within the Claude Giroux situation just itself, or are you yes. mentioning the other guys? Like with, with no with no, Giroux, I'm, I'm, I think
0: that... he, he's got eight million. You can you
4: can you can move yeah, that
0: contract at the it.
4: trade deadline easily. Easily, So that, that'll, be, and that'll be really, like as he said, and that is the one thing like, I think he kind of agreed to it a while ago, but there are guys, you take 8 million off the books, yes, they'll move him to, you know, if they agree to, to where he wants to go. I think the biggest thing, I, and I don't know what the Flyers, and you guys probably know better than me, I don't know what the asking price will come down to in a year like this. Like, I really think the Flyers are talking about getting like a huge, huge package for him, and I'm not really sure. The younger guys, though, that you did mention there, Kipper, and I don't know if I, if you just broke up for a second, but guys like Farabee, like I really like Farabee. He's going to be, he's part of the young core, like of, of the guys coming up. And some of that salary will take over next year. I think he starts making like five. I think that might be the cap hit number uh, for Farabee. So that'll play into, you know, the number of Giroux's $8 million coming off the cap. But I believe next year there'll be $14 million under the cap going into free agency in the summer. That's what I'd actually heard today on our own podcast. But Claude Giroux will... You know, to me, guys, I don't think they need to make this wait another month or two until the deadline. Move them now if you can. Set your own deadline uh, and see who's really, really eager to make that move and get, you know, get a guy on your team that's probably going to play deep, you know, depth on your second line or or be your third line winger or center on on a Stanley Cup type of contending team.
2: Okay, so, I mean, there's whether it's, you know, going to be guys like Provorov and Konechny. I mean, those are real hockey trades. They may happen in the summer. The other intriguing piece You know, Chuck Fletcher really tried to rebuild the D, and obviously the Ryan Ellis injury is a killer because that was the big piece. Keith Yandel, you know, okay, nice story. But also, Rasmus Ristolainen gave up a first-round pick last year, 14th overall, and a third-round pick this year in a player. $5.4 $5.4 million expiring contract. They say they're talking, I, I'm, but, I mean, if you're looking at a hired gun, which, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs or whoever, you've got to add a D or two if you're going to get in the playoffs. I mean, where do you think that's heading, and do you think they cut their losses, and what, what kind of D, if somebody got him, do you think he could be as a hired gun? You're talking about Provorov? Sorry, r- sorry, excuse me, Ristolainen, just being oh, a hired Rist- gun. Rist-Lanen. for the, Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, you know what, guys? Like, I mean,
4: I, there's, a, there's talk here that they may, they may resign him. I think that's going to come down to one of those, the, the, the trade deadline day moves. Like, was, what is Chuck going to do? Is he going to keep him or is he going to trade him? He's a guy, though, that will certainly add depth. Now, I, I'll be honest with you guys. If he's, if he's in your top four on a team that you think is going to win the Stanley Cup, you're probably, you're probably over-serving him by one pair. But I think if you can get a guy like him to play on your third D pair as a 5 or 6 and give you 4, 13, 12 to 14 minutes, I think that's perfect. Like, I think he can come in here and do that. The problem is there's so many players now, and they're just not all going to be top four guys. So you have to fill the depth somewhere. Uh, that's another one, though, when you mentioned Gord. Like, you have to own up, though, for the fact that you did give away a first-rounder. So you used the first-rounder on a guy that was going into one more year in the contract, and that's another thing that you to say, well, you know, do we want to lose a first-rounder for – a guy that we acquired, where our team was out of it at the midway point of the season, so there was some, you know, decisions to make. His 13, 14 pick may not be the biggest thing in the world in last year's draft, but I, I don't mind Ristolainen. I really don't. If you put him in the right spot and you plug him into the right uh, into the right deep pair and the right number of that pair.
0: Travis connect me. does he have a future on on a rebuild
4: or a retool here for the Flyers? I think you got to move him based on his cap number. I mean, he's making a lot of money. It's it, things have, re, it's gone backwards for him. It's gone backwards for Provorov. You know, he's another one. Like, hey, make a call on Provorov. I know he, you know, we've been told for four or five years. He's, you know, he's next the next one, next one. And he's another guy like connecting. And nobody's, nobody will tell you. It's not just, it's everybody's seeing it. I don't know why their progress has gone in reverse, in, in a sense, but he's another guy, Provaroff. If he's making that kind of money and somebody calls Chuck and says, hey, we got a really nice package, we'd like to get him, I would do that deal so fast, it wouldn't even know it hit you. Provaroff um, hey, is the type me. of
0: guy, Bundy, is Provaroff the type
4: of guy that is only good when he has the perfect D guy beside him? Sure seems like it, Kipper. Like, that's the way it's gone. So until, you know, we kept talking, well, they brought in Ellis. And, you know, that's another one that we had Dave Scott the other day, you know, telling people, you know, Ellis and Hayes and Katuri are the three out of the four guys that are the core of this team. Well, that's a really easy way to make an excuse for losing as much as they've done. I mean, Ellis has played a handful of games here this year. Again, that's another statement where you look at it. But uh, Konechny's a guy, I think, fellas, that, you, you know, you could probably move and get even a little bit younger again. Um and certainly, I think Proveroff as well, too. Yeah, he looks like that guy. Like, he's very, very good maybe to get that partner. But you don't want to have him hitched to a guy that, uh, you know, he, if he ends up being 30 in a, in a few years where you're still trying to catch that dream of him playing with somebody. I mean, you can cut bait and try to get something back. There's, a, I don't think there's anybody on this team, guys, that should re, really feel safe at all going in. Maybe Carter Hart maybe fair be a young goal scorer, but I think that anything should be on the table for them to try to improve this.
2: Now, I know you get go- so I know you got to get going, but I want to ask you like Bobby Clark, Holy mackerel. Now, you know, he's supporting Chuck. Okay. He's a, he's a loyalist, but mm-hmm. uh, last week when he, when he tore a strip off, Ron, the Ron Hextel regime, what did you make of all that? That, you know, people said, oh, it
4: looked like somebody like he had a directive. No way. I mean, I know Bob Clark. You guys know Clarkey. He's going to say whatever he wants to say. If he's in that moment, he's not going to hesitate. Um, but he, he's, he is the kind of guy, I think, where if, if somebody said something to somebody here, heard the story, and that one person just totally put the, put the hand up, the stop sign up to, to all those ideas, that would tick off a guy like Bob Clark. Because he is somebody, even though... He knows who he is. He's one of, the, you know, one of the great figures in the history of the sport, uh, a true, true winner, and really one of the great you know, great characters in our game uh, uh, from the past. He's going to say what's on his mind. And um, I don't think it was a great look, but I respect the fact that he came out and said, listen, enough of this. Like, we're, we're going around and around about all these players that we were told was going to be like the kids are coming. They're, they're here. They're on their way. And I think when they've gotten here, uh, I think that that really uh, just puts Bob in a in a, in a mood where I've, I've I've been on the wrong side of it before too, and um, it's not pleasant. But he speaks he speaks what he feels, guys. Whether you like it or not, I respect it, and uh, it's, he's you're not going to be able to put a a, a muzzle on him. Uh, he's just going to say what he wants to say.
0: Oh yeah, seventy two years old, uh, BSing is not in his vocabulary, and I think it more no. more than anything, Bundy. It just speaks to the. Uh, the, the feel overall that this organization is scraping the bottom of the barrel. That's essentially yep. what you got out of Bob Clark's uh, comments. Hey, one, one, one more note here. Where are you yeah, when, yeah, it sure, comes, right? when it comes to uh, most games played in a Philadelphia Flyer uniform? Where are
4: you on that list? Uh, I, think I'm, I think I'm fifth, I think, in the the franchise and, and first as a defenseman.
0: Yes. Wow. First so I know as a that, defenseman. actually. Yeah. Okay, Uh, I mean, somebody told me that and I I know you you had some great years, some long years there, but man, that's that's a nice number, man. Forget Yendel. They should
4: be honoring you, man. Number one. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, Kipper. They're not lining up the phone calls for the Wells Fargo Center for me anytime soon. <laughs>
0: Especially after after they just heard you on our show. <laughs> <laughs>
4: you know what, though? Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I, unfortunately, I'm I'm 50. I'm not 72 yet, Kipper. But I, I'm also uh, I'm kind of out of the mold, guys. Of a Bob Clark. Maybe I was here too long. That's what happened. But I, oh. I'm just sad to see. And you know what? Because it, it doesn't have to happen. Let the fans do the work for you. That's what that's what Philadelphia is all about. Let the fans do the job for you. Be good to them. Put a good product on the ice. Don't inundate them with a mascot every single game uh, and bad music and stupid stuff on the scoreboards. Flyers fans like hockey. They want hard-nosed hockey. Um, you're not always going to get that. The game has changed. We all know that. But you know what? You still, There's still a, a validity for effort, and people here still truly care about the sport. But, man, they need to get this right again, guys. They never, ever, ever should have gone like this. And it, it's truly heartbreaking. As, as a fan now and a former player and broadcaster, it's the worst thing I've seen happen to any sports team.
0: Well said. Chris right Thierry, and thanks for your time, man. We'll get you out of here.
4: Always a pleasure, guys. Have a great rest of the week
0: former flyer defenseman and now snow the goalie a flyer podcast you can catch him there uh gord we need as a league we
2: need the flyers to be good and nasty and all of that yeah yeah i i you know first of all like i love his passion and i I would hope it resonates because he's you know and he's talking about dave scott who's the corporate guy and uh, i uh I've had enough of corporate guys who stick their nose into, uh, you, you know, in, in New York that happened. Now, you won a Stanley Cup there, Kippy, and I dealt with some nice people on the corporate side. But, you know, you go to the draft table, and then they were the first ones that have, like had to have two rows around so everyone could sit there and, you know, get their time at the draft table. And then you gave them the draft list all of a sudden. So then they get excited because they go, wow, we got this guy who they don't even know. We got this guy way ahead of where you know where he was on our list. Well that's why everyone has different lists, right? Anyway, it's it's a tough thing to navigate and that's where like I look at Vinnick in Tampa Bay, that seems like a great owner. Illich is like that in Detroit about you know letting the hockey people run it and just uh, so I, I, I. But the Philadelphia Flyers, he he brought that up being like a Dallas Cowboys. That's a real good analogy. It, it was uh, it had a, had a vibe to it. The Spectrum did. The new building does to a lesser degree, but the, you know the the Broad Street Bullies. It's, you can't be a bully anymore, but there's a there's an aura about it. There's a style of play. You mentioned your great friend, the Lake Peter Zezel, and you know on and on from the '70s teams to. The the 80s and just just a level of I want to say I don't know but excellence all the time but you know just just solid just solid solid organization strong organization uh, you know always doing the little things right which usually means you can end up doing the big things right
0: well there's uh there's a new corporate feel in Philadelphia that's for sure uh we're going to take a quick break we got Sheldon Keefe head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs after the break but I'll end it on this uh, question to you Gord Stellick. If you had your choice and I'm only giving you two choices okay. for ownership of a team that you're running which one would you pick
2: mm-hmm.
0: Harold Ballard or the teacher's pension
2: okay uh by the way the teacher's pension was no hell either so people think about that 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 era was no was no hell either uh, uh I so I'll I'll call him Mr. Ballard because he g- he gave me a chance. So you know I I I I got to I got to acknowledge that even though people look back at that era derisively. So I I would um, I would like to have my favorite teacher be the owner. How about that? Some of my favorite teacher <laughs> would be an owner, and that'd be great. So not the pension fund, but one of my favorite teachers on behalf of the fund.
0: Well, I, I only bring that up because they're 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 just. They're two so vastly different ones, still personal, although yeah. as tough as Harold, the late Harold Ballard was, it was personal. You could yeah. go and talk to him. He could get decisions Every made. Day. yeah, and then there's that that corporate world where it's like ice cold. You can't even find somebody to ask a question to. Yeah,
2: well, they, and the pension fund, good on, it It was a good, actually, they, they they ended up probably selling, they ended up selling low, getting out of it, but it was a great investment when they got it, and part of it was, you had to have the return, that's all they cared about, and they've run a great pension fund, and then when they sold, it was like this glorious moment, and I felt like, you never made the playoffs! Like, you're slicker, you look better, you're professional, you're whatever, but you basically had the kind of same results as you're talking about in, in the Ballard era in, in, in many, many ways. So it, uh, I, I, I got to say, whatever it is about on the Leaf ownership side, getting it together, and that's not because uh, our company owns a, a piece of it, but getting things in place and even Tim Lawicky, in a small sense coming in and bringing in Masai and bringing in Brendan Shanahan and Brendan's a president, but he's also a hockey guy, you know? and you kind of start from, start, start from there. So there's a uh, Luke Robitaille in L.A. I look as a great one about having uh, a corporate setup but with, with a real hockey guy that, that, that knows best on top of it.
0: Okay, let's take a quick break here, uh, and we're right back with the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Sheldon Keith. You're listening to Real Kipper Unborn, show number 78.